Once again, it might initially seem strange that two days after the celebration of our Lord's Nativity, we hear practically the very last paragraph of the Gospels. There's only one verse of St. John's Gospel after the passage that we just heard in this Mass. We fast forward, as it were, to the very end of our Lord's life, after the resurrection, to the very last things that are recorded of him in the last of the Gospels. And yet this is fitting because there is no more appropriate person that the Church can direct our attention to in these days of our Lord's Nativity than the Apostle who most deeply allows us to enter into his heart, to enter into the mystery of his incarnation. The Church repeats over and over again this rather cryptic word of our Lord to St. Peter, Thus I want him to remain until I come. We hear it several times in the antiphons of today's office. We hear it several times in the chants of today's Mass. And it's as if the lively discussion that was apparently going on among the brethren in the time of the Apostles is still going on in the Church's mind, discussing, what does this mean? Why is he saying this? It's worth noting that in most of the Greek manuscripts and some of the Latin ones, the sentence is given as, if I wish him to remain thus until I come, what is it to thee? You follow me. It would seem that St. Peter, having just heard the prophecy of his own crucifixion and having been told by our Lord, follow me, Peter, we can imagine the scene, he's a bit unnerved by what he's been told, feels a bit a bit unfair that he's being asked so much and he looks around and, and sees this other disciple who has in so many ways already been given marks of a particular predilection on the part of our Lord. And as if to say, this is a bit unfair what you're asking of me, what about him? And we can hear our Lord responding with a certain gentle irony, well, what if I want him to remain until I come? What is that to you? It's as if he's essentially telling Peter to mind his own affairs, do what I'm asking of you, don't involve yourself in what I might want for somebody else. Which is in itself a useful thing for all of us when our Lord presents us with the cross, rather than going and looking elsewhere and saying, well, what about him? Why do I have to do this? Our Lord says, no, tu me sequere. But the Church has seen much more in this little phrase, thus I want him to remain until I come. It is on the one hand a sort of hypothetical held out to Peter in order to help St. Peter to focus on his own call, but as we heard St. Augustine speaking of in the lessons at Matins this morning, St. John represents the one whom our Lord does wish to remain until he comes. August, St. Augustine says that St. Peter represents life in this world, amid the cares of this world, fighting against our passions in this world, suffering all of the persecutions of this world. And St. John represents 
the life to come, when all of those things will have passed away. And it's fitting that St. John should represent the life to come, the life that remains, because he is, above all, the apostle of charity, the apostle of love. And as St. Paul tells us, that is the one thing that endures. It is St. John who is so loved by our Lord and so knows himself to be loved by our Lord that he identifies himself in that way. He never is spoken of by name in his gospel. Rather, he identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That, had, that experience of our Lord's love had so come to shape how he saw himself, how he understood himself, that it became his very name, as it were. He is the disciple who is so confident, so intimate with our Lord that he rests upon his breast at the Last Supper, such that St. Peter, who was clearly recognized as the leader of the apostles already in our Lord's lifetime, St. Peter nonetheless realizes that if he wants to learn certain things, he has to go through St. John. When he wants to know who it is that's going to betray our Lord, he signals to St. John to ask him. It is because he is so in love with our Lord that the Lord gives to him his mother at the foot of the cross. It is because of this deep love that he has that he is able to receive the most profound doctrine about our Lord and to give us the lofty theology of his prologue, of his entire gospel, of his epistles, that he is given the vision of the apocalypse. He is privileged above all the other apostles to know the secrets of our Lord's heart. And he's given this privilege because of his great love. It could be said of him, perhaps, in relation to St. Peter, as it was said by St. Gregory of St. Scholastica in relation to St. Benedict, plus potuit quia plus amabit. He was able to do more because he loved more. That's not to say that St. John challenges St. Peter's primacy, the office of headship that he's given in the church. Some of the fathers draw our attention to the way in which St. John defers to St. Peter at the tomb on Easter morning. He arrives there first, but then he waits and allows Peter to go in. And yet even Peter recognizes that St. John is the one who has the better part, and that his is the portion that will remain. And thus, in that sense, he truly is the one whom the Lord wants to remain thus until he comes. We give thanks today that beyond all merits of our own, we have been given here in this house a particular share in the vocation of St. John. We honor him as one of our heavenly protectors among our declarations Paragraph 70 lists the patrons, the protectors of the monastery, alongside our Blessed Lady and St. Joseph, St. Michael the Archangel. They honor St. John the Evangelist, as well as St. John the Baptist, St. Mary Magdalene, St. Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face, and Blessed Columba Marmion. St. John is given a privileged place among those who protect our monastery, and this is so because, as the previous paragraph of the Declaration says, 
Following the example of St. John the Apostle, who, obedient to the word of Jesus crucified, took Mary into his home and into the intimacy of his priestly heart, they consecrate themselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary, relying upon her to render the monastery prosperous in the vineyard of the church and to maintain its vigor. We are called to imitate St. John then, above all in his intimacy with our Lord, in the sharing of the secrets of our Lord's heart that he was given at the Last Supper, which we are called to prolong in our adoration. And we are called to imitate him also in taking Our Lady into all that is our own, taking her into every corner of our lives, in welcoming the intimacy with her that was given to St. John. And thus we rejoice that we are given in this life the share in that life that will remain, that life that our Lord wishes to remain thus until he comes. The life of love, the life of intimacy with our Lord, which is at the heart of all the church does, and without which everything else in the church loses its sense, loses its purpose, loses its life. St. Peter recognized this in St. John. The church has always recognized it in the contemplative monastic vocation. We give thanks that we have been called as best we can to imitate St. John in this vocation of love, of adoration. At the end of Holy Mass, we will follow a long-standing custom of blessing wine in honor of the Feast of St. John, a custom which stems, at least in part, from the fact that at one point St. John was given a poisoned draft of wine to drink, which he, as our Lord had prophesied, was able to drink without harm. So we will pray that the wine of which we will partake later on today will be blessed. And the prayers of the blessing also recall other uses of wine and the economy of salvation. It recalls how the lost shepherd poured oil and wine, how the, the good shepherd picks up the lost sheep, how he pours oil and wine upon the wounds of the man who fell in with robbers, the Good Samaritan, that is. It recalls how our Lord is the vine and we are the branches. And it asks that, as St. John was able to drink the poisoned wine without harm, so do thou grant to all that drink this wine the spiritual joy and eternal life. So as we partake also today of this sacramental of the blessed wine in honor of St. John, we ask that he might obtain for us the wine that gives joy to man's heart, the wine of divine charity, the sober intoxication of the Spirit, that we might be intoxicated with the love of our Lord as he was, that we might drink deeply from the heart of our Lord as he did, so that from us, for the good of souls for the life of the church, 
there may flow the streams of living water, which St. John drank from that inexhaustible fount. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.